It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Faster my crazy day, my pack commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. An icy Tuesday in the Twin Cities. My name's Sam Ekstrom, at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. Find my work, coldomaha.com and the Cumulus Media Network. Another man who writes for the Cold Omaha writing staff. His name is Arif Hassan, a regular on the program, at Arif Hassan NFL on Twitter. He joins us now on the Locked On Vikings hotline, if you will. Arif, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Sam. Did you enjoy the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, and did you suffer angst at watching the Green Bay Packers triumph? Feels like watching the Packers uh, win, especially such a, a close game, like a, a heart wrencher like that, kind of overwhelmed the amount of joy I had watching the rest of the playoffs. Because, I mean, the Pittsburgh Kansas City game wasn't you know very high scoring, but it was pretty good. It was close. Uh, and, you know, the other two games, they weren't, you know, thrillers or anything like that. But I, I kind of actually still enjoyed the, the Patriots-Texans game. And if you, you know, if you had skin in the game, if you, uh, you know, wanted to see if the Patriots were going to hit the spread, from that perspective, it's actually a pretty close game. Yeah. You know, my heart was beating because I wanted the Patriots uh, to pull it out, and they did. Were you riding the favorites for the first six games of the playoffs? <laughs> uh, not for the first four, unfortunately. <laughs> I think I only had the favorites in one of them, which was a, a mistake, evidently. Oh, too bad. The last two games, I think, uh, just from a non-gambling perspective, certainly upped the drama factor with a couple great finishes. we got a conference championship weekend ahead of us, but let's take a look back at the Minnesota Vikings and talk purple here on this Locked On Vikings program. Arif, we've been going through the player evaluations two by two until we get through the entire roster, and we thought we would reserve one of your favorite players, Stefan Diggs, for today's show, a guy that you were on in training camp. And I'm not sure that was an unseen thing, that he was going to be tremendous, but you wrote a piece very early on in the season about how he was emerging into a bona fide star in the NFL. Maybe injuries hampered him a little bit and kept him from realizing his full potential this year, but a pretty remarkable player with 903 receiving yards. How do you evaluate Diggs' second season with the Minnesota Vikings? Yeah, we were uh, we were just we were just a couple of games away, just maybe one game away, one healthy game away from Diggs getting uh, to that 1,000 yard mark and having the Vikings having the first pair of 1,000 yard receivers since you know 2000 and. Uh, 
you know, a big part of that has to do with the way that Diggs has been able to manipulate coverage. He is an extraordinarily intelligent receiver uh, that allows him not just to figure out sort of where the coverage is, like, leaving holes open for him that, you know, Bradford is able to take advantage of, but also when he was in one-on-one coverage, you know, how to, how to manipulate the defensive back, how to play them like a string. You know, one of my favorite things I've ever heard about wide receiver route running is that it's like telling a story, and you want the defensive back to believe your story before you sort of break it and get open. And Stephon Diggs is an incredible storyteller when it comes uh, from that perspective. And, you know, for his size, he's great at winning contested catches. Uh, and, you know, really, you know, he's been able to provide, you know, uh, threats from the outside and the inside, from deep, intermediate. He's been really versatile for the night. And he's an incredible bargain, too. Obviously, getting picked in the fifth round, he's making less than $600,000 right now. Vikings will probably have to offer him an extension after next season. The one thing with Diggs, I and mean, if, there, if there's any knock on Diggs, and this could be a result of injuries, it's that he really didn't have the ability later in the year, it seemed like, to open things up vertically. He was he was always kind of the around-the-line-of-scrimmage guy, whereas Thielen was running more of those vertical routes. Do you have an idea why the Vikings kind of put them in those roles? Is it a result of Shermer's offense? Is it a result of Stefan Diggs having a, a hip, a knee, a groin, just some nagging lower body injuries? You know, I think uh, I think Diggs's injuries definitely played a role, especially uh, I think the game he had something like 13 receptions that were all uh, within nine yards or so. And I think that game he was just coming off of an injury, and so I think they're utilizing you know some of the things that he's really good at, you know, finding those open spaces uh, without sort of stressing the things that you know were bothering him. So I think that played a role, but I think also just Schirmer's offense in general uh, really does have a role for you know, a receiver that has the ability to get you eight, nine yards because uh, it was really important, especially for the Vikings, but just the Shermer offense in general, to replace a lot of those runs with passes because Dix has found an ability to get open deep. He's not as fast, you know, as, as Adam Thielen or Charles Johnson or Cordero Patterson, but he does have a way to get open deep kind of the same way that Antonio Brown has a way to get open deep despite sort of those speed deficiencies he has against some of the top corners. Uh, it's just there's a place for him to play that role in the offense. He's better at that role than anyone else on the roster. And, you know, those injuries kind of limited his ability, uh, not in every game, but in some of those games, uh, to to take advantage of his physical talents. Is Stefan Diggs proof that to have a large catch radius, you don't need to be big? That was kind of the myth surrounding Laquan Treadwell, that because he's bigger bodied, he's going to have this better catch radius. But I would argue that Stefan Diggs might have one of the better catch radiuses on the team, and he certainly is not uh, hes not a Des Bryant-type height, that's for sure. He's a more diminutive receiver, but he seems to catch everything in his area code. Even if you're four inches shorter and you have a really good stretch and you can catch things above you, behind you, in front of you, that's going to make up for the extra height. And Diggs seems to have sort of debunked that, that myth that you need to be tall to catch balls. Yeah, uh, your individual talent at being able to snag stuff away from your frame is a really important part of catch radius. Obviously, having longer arms and height helps, but only so much. If you compare, you know, someone like Dwayne Bowe, who's six one six two, to someone like Antonio Brown, another good example again. Uh, Antonio Brown has a much larger catch radius because he has the ability uh, to go out and get the ball away from his frame, whereas Dwayne Bowe never really 
you know, had that. Maybe he had that early on in his career. Um, but it's it's something that that really I think goes underrated when we're talking about the qualities that a receiver has. You know, I wouldn't say that Stephon Diggs has an amazing catch radius the same way some you know, some of these shorter receivers like maybe Tyler Lockett, but definitely Antonio Brown do. Um, but he certainly has an above average one, and I think it's because. Of, of his ability to catch things well outside of his frame. And another really big, important part of it, it's one reason I think that Gronkowski is a better pass catcher than Jimmy Graham, is flexibility because your catch radius isn't just how high you can jump or how far away from, uh, you know, how far ahead of you you can catch the ball. Uh, it's also, you know, your ability to catch stuff sort of below your chest, which is a really, really difficult pass for receivers to catch while they're, you know, running in stride. And Diggs has, you know, that flexibility to adjust for, you know, whatever's causing maybe accuracy problems with the quarterback, kind of like Gronkowski has the ability to catch stuff sort of below his hips, which is pretty rare. Jimmy Graham doesn't, and so that's kind of one of the reasons that you can see, you know, all these differences that these receivers have and, you know, what catch radius might actually mean. And I think Diggs embodies a lot of those subtle differences that more than make up, I think, for his height and his arm length. Yeah, I love your point about catching below the hips because we, we think of guys that are 6'3", reaching upward to catch balls more easily, but you don't think about the balls that are closer to the ground that they then have to bend down to catch, which I would say, you know, it probably happens almost as frequently as passes that are overthrown. So that's a great point on Diggs, who's maybe a little lower to the ground, able to catch passes below his hips. That's a great, great point. We got Arif Hassan here on Lockdown Vikings at Arif Hassan NFL. On the other side of the ball, Shamar Stefan to continue our player evaluations. Stefan's a guy that I really liked in the preseason. He's a great value for where he was drafted two years ago in the former seventh-round pick. Shamar Stefan, maybe not as explosive as a Sharif Floyd. You still probably want to have a healthy Sharif Floyd in the starting lineup versus Shamar Stefan, but pretty sturdy against the run. And again, great value on that defensive line when you're paying Robinson what you are. When you're paying Griffin what you are and Joseph what you are, it's good to have a guy in Stefan who's not making that kind of dough that's somewhat reliable, fairly nondescript player. How would you evaluate Stefan this season? I think uh, Shamar Stefan is a player that fits his role perfectly. And to some extent, the Vikings had to kind of craft that role around him and the unique talents of Tom Johnson, who's kind of like an inverse defensive tackle uh, after Shree Floyd went down. Um, but it was really, really important that Shamar Stefan have the skill set that he does have, his ability to control and maintain a gap, especially against single blocks, uh, when he was lined up alongside Linval Joseph. It allowed the Vikings to really shore up the run defense, you know, in, in situations where it was really, really critical for the Vikings to prevent that first down uh, from becoming second and, and, and four or something like that. Uh, so his ability to sort of sit low and anchor against those uh, against those, you know, zone runs in particular, but also, you know, against, you know, centers trying to move up into the second level have been really, really important. It's really helped, you know, linebackers like Eric Hendricks uh, to sort of flow freely and get to the ball carrier. It's forced running backs to sort of hesitate in the backfield. And what's great about Stefan is that he's versatile. He has the ability to play the three technique position, which is the position that Sharif Floyd plays, that Tom Johnson plays. And he also has the position, uh, the vers- versatility to play the uh, new tackle position that Linval Joseph plays, which is something we saw, you know, the year prior when Linval Joseph went down, we saw a little bit of it when Linval Joseph, you know, had to take a take a breather. And he's not, you know, nearly as good, uh, obviously, as a pass rusher as Linval Joseph from the nose tackle position or, you know, as a run defender. But he definitely has the ability to hold his own, I think, more than a lot of backup nose tackles. 
uh, in the NFL can today because those double teams that we're getting from centers and guards uh, are really opening up run games for, you know, we saw this in, uh, in the Arizona game with David Johnson, uh, Ezekiel Elliott. You know, the, the run game is becoming maybe a little bit more important again with this new wave of backs. And, you know, having those nose tackles and backup nose tackles is really, really important. And I think Stefan is, is above average as a backup nose tackle, uh, which is great because that's one of the two positions he can play. Well, speaking of depth, you've got Stefan going into a contract year making a little over $700,000. You're not sure what the future holds for Sharif Floyd. Do you think the Vikings go out and add another tackle, whether it's uh, probably a depth guy, maybe a, a draft pick, to add some depth? Because they really rolled with just three defensive tackles this year, and then they occasionally move Robison to the inside uh, as kind of that fourth guy in the rotation almost. Do you think they, they bring in someone else to provide insurance in case Floyd doesn't come back or maybe Maybe Stefan moves on after next year? Yeah, I think they'll make a little bit of investment, but I don't think they'll necessarily be too aggressive about it. Um, it really depends sort of on what the prognosis, I guess, on Shreve Floyd is. If they think that that's, you know, not going to be a tenable situation, they may make a, you know, a much, much bigger investment uh, and draft a guy in the second round. But in my reading of it is that they're, they're going to make some small investments to let them compete because, you know, Stefan and Johnson will compete probably with, you know, B.J. DeBose and Toby Johnson. Uh, DeBose, who was on IR, Toby Johnson, who got promoted pretty late in the year. Toby Johnson had a pretty good preseason and a pretty good training camp, and so that's going to be an interesting competition. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Johnson beat out Stefan, um, but he's probably not a favorite, and they want to, you know, make sure that they can get sort of the best available players there. And in a class like this, in a draft class like this, you could probably find some pretty good uh, nose tackles uh, in sort of the sixth, seventh round or a priority free agent or you know, even in free agency, you can bring in a guy just like they brought in Tom Johnson a couple of years ago uh, from, I think, New Orleans. And previously, mm-hmm. Tom Johnson had been in, like, sort of the Arena Football League. And so you can find some of these players, uh, you know, all over, but you have to make sure that they compete. And I think the Vikings want to do that. I think they want to get someone who has enough talent to compete and not just have bodies at training camp. But I don't think they're going to invest too much unless they're really, really pessimistic about what's happening with Shreve Floyd. Yeah, and I forgot about Toby Johnson, too. He showed a lot of good things in the preseason, and they obviously liked him enough to elevate him onto the active roster toward the end of the year. Isn't it amazing, just generally speaking, how well the Vikings have evaluated and developed defensive line and how poorly they've done on the offensive line? Just look at, look at, look at defense. They decided that Everson Griffin was worthy of the money and the starting role, and he totally paid them off. They obviously hit on Tom Johnson, which was a huge flyer. They hit on Shamar Stefan. They made a great decision to sign Linval Joseph. They drafted Sharif Floyd, and he's been a pretty good player up until this year. But then for every good thing they've done on the defensive line, the offensive line has been an equivalent failure, I guess, in terms of drafting and in terms of identifying talent. Yeah, it's kind of astounding, and this is something that, that's lasted past, uh, you know, several groups of coaches, right, because Everson Griffin was drafted, uh, you know, I think with Brad Childress, and then, you know, Leslie Frazier helped develop him. Uh, and, you know, that's sort of the same thing with, with Brian Robinson, and you take a look at the history of, like, fourth-round defensive tackles, even third-round defensive tackles will throw in, you know, Daniil Hunter, uh, and it's not nearly as successful as what the Vikings have been able to produce. They've had basically, you know, one guy not work out. That's Scott Crichton. Uh, and, uh, and you know, hey, maybe he'll, you know, compete for the defensive tackle spot too. Um, but it's, it's kind of astounding how good they've been at it for how long they've been through several coaching staff. Uh, you know, because Andre Patterson hasn't been there the whole time. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, probably several rotations of scouting staffs that have been responsible for this. Uh, and even, you know, changes in, in at the top level of the front office, with, you know, Rook Spielman being promoted to an actual general manager, they've been consistent about being able to find those defensive linemen. They were in the past able to find offensive linemen. I mean, Phil Lodeholt, you know, wasn't a bad find, you know, back in 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Brandon Fusco was good in 2013. You know, John Sullivan was, you know, a top-level guy. Joe Berger they brought in under Rick Spielman, like, but it's kind of it's just dropped off. Sorry about that. One second. Wow, Arif, <laughs> the the way that sounded from here, it sounded like you were just in a horrific, horrific car accident when the phone line cut out on you. That was pretty scary for me. Thought we lost you. I'm 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 still here. I guess that didn't happen. Uh, I guess my elevation up the Vikings writer depth chart will have to wait another day. Um, Arif, speaking of your writing, you wrote a phenomenal, well-researched Minnesota Vikings story, coldomaha.com. It's called Grading the Graders and Players of the Vikings Offense. Really intriguing concept. Basically, you accumulated the mean of the grades from various analytics websites, and you kind of came up with conclusions of how certain Vikings were graded uh, based on what criteria. What were your findings in this latest piece? Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was really interesting to me because I was looking through, uh, you know, two different groups of, of graders that are, are relatively, you know, subjective. They want to look at the film. They want to take a look at sort of, you know, what a player accomplished. You know, Pro Football Focus, they do a bunch of great analytics and statistics work, but the, the thing that they push the most are their grades, which are not analytics or statistics. They're just, grades i mean they're they you know if a guy does a good job they give him some points like that's the that's the kind of the the basis of their system the bleach report top 1000 project they've gotten a lot of really good scouts to just evaluate you know all of these players based off of a lot of different you know technical criteria you know are they a good route runner how are their hands you know that sort of stuff uh, and i found it kind of interesting you know there were some disagreements you know among you know vikings players and i was like well where are all those disagreements and hey you know if we throw in some statistics like uh, you know, adjusted yards per play for quarterbacks and, you know, DVOA from football outsiders. You know, how do those sort of, you know, match up? And I found that, you know, you can learn a lot about the Vikings players, you know, what they did well, what they didn't do well, just by looking at the differences between how all these organizations or statistics graded them. And then you can also actually learn a lot about the organizations, too. I mean, like you learn, for example, the pro football focus, you know, they don't really care about, like, how you get stuff done so long as you get stuff done. Whereas, you know, Bleach Report, they care a lot more about, you know, sort of the technical details of how you got something done, you know, until you can prove that you can do something kind of in an unorthodox way. I've also found, you know, some of these groups, you know, they may pay a little bit more attention to uh, to reputation. I think that Adam Thielen, for example, wasn't really graded appropriately by Bleach Report. I thought they graded him too low. Uh, whereas some of the groups, you know, pay or, or some of the statistics can be a little bit misleading. So, uh, for example, they they didn't grade Kyle Rudolph all that highly when you just take a look at only his you know defense adjusted receiving statistics. But he was clearly a very very good tight end this year, and that's something that both you know Bleach Report and Pro Football Focus picked up. Has pro football focus created this new wave of analytics seekers that is going to basically dilute its product? Because PFF was such a revolutionary idea that it seems like, and as you show here, there are other places doing this now. 
PFF has, they've started this revolution, but is it actually going to hurt that organization? Uh, it really depends on sort of what you think their goals are. I think if it's to to sell a product to the public and in terms of like definitively convincing people that, you know, because of our system, these are players that are good, these are players that are not good, I think that that's not going to be something that they can accomplish in the long term. And I think that's in part because they've restricted access to some of the stuff they used to give access to the public for, their premium statistics package, for example. But that's no longer their goal. Their goal is to sell their information and their data to NFL teams. And to that extent, they've done a very, very good job. They've got some level of deals, uh, you know, whether or not it's, you know, a full, you know, premium statistics package or if it's just player participation data. With about 22 teams, it's more than half of the NFL. So from that perspective, they're doing a very, very good job. They're already eclipsing uh, the most, uh, you know, well-known company in that regard, which is Stats Ice or Stats Inc. Uh, and so they're accomplishing their goal. They're just not doing the thing that it initially seemed like they were they were set out to do. And I don't even know if they knew that this was the direction they would go in. Um, but, you know, with all these other you know, organizations potentially popping up trying to do the same thing, you know, maybe that was a good idea for them to move to that direction quickly because, you know, I think in the public eye, you know, we're taking a look at, you know, the PFWA All-Pro team. We're taking a look at the Bleach Report Top 1000. We're taking a look at, you know, sort of the Associated Press, uh, you know, MVP awards. I mean, there's so many different ways to take a look at some of these players, and some players or, or some organizations will try to get every player just like PFF does. And I think that from that perspective, I think PFF loses a lot of public power, but they're not looking for that anymore. So it's probably not that big a deal to them. Yeah, they have, they have big fish to fry for sure with those NFL deals. With Sam Bradford, who you spent some time talking about in the piece, he's got a very high grade in the Bleacher Report 1000, fairly low from football outsiders. Uh, you touched on it a little bit, but what, what specifically with Bradford accounts for that discrepancy in the grading? Uh, well, the, the person who's grading uh, Sam Bradford in the Bleach Report uh, Top 1000, he's a, one of my colleagues at 1500 ESPN, Keen Fay, he does a really good job, but he seems to have a bit of a Bradford crush. He really likes his decision-making. He likes uh, sort of uh, a lot of the uh, you know, in-game accuracy that he's shown at the intermediate level, and he may you know, sort of weight that a little bit more than he does you know, for some of the gunslingers that did pretty well this year. Uh, and so for so for him in the Bleach Report Top 1000, based off of, you know, sort of the traditional orthodox things that you expect a quarterback to do, something that you maybe wouldn't expect, you know, Cam Newton or or to some extent even, you know, Derek Carr, who likes to take some chances, um, you know, maybe they don't get graded as well in, in a process that, that rewards orthodox quarterback play. And that's something that Sam Bradford did pretty well this year. Um, pro Football Focus, they were kind of in between Football Outsiders and uh, – uh, and, you know, the Bleach Report Top 1000. Uh, and they probably paid a little bit more attention to sort of some of the outcomes of those plays. You know, hey, you know, if if you're throwing it high a lot and your receivers just can't seem to get it, then, you know, maybe that's a little bit more on you than on your receivers for not understanding what your receivers are doing, right? Or, you know, hey, you know, you had a dropped interception here. You know, that's, that's something that's going to ding you even though it didn't show up. And then football outsiders, what they're doing is they're taking a look just at the statistics. And it's not that surprising to think of, you know, Sam Bradford, the guy who's leading this offense, that, you know, maybe it's not even his fault because of the offensive line, um, but he's leading this offense that's relatively anemic. It requires a lot more short passing, uh, and uh, and it doesn't take into account stuff like drops. I think it counts backs against him, which is, you know, not usually, you know, what we'd consider a quarterback's fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of the statistical stuff that I think Viking fans could excuse or make 
you know, good arguments about how it doesn't matter. That stuff doesn't get treated any differently by football outsiders. And so as a quarterback who wasn't able to produce that many explosive plays for one reason or another, you know, football outsiders dinged him relative to, to the rest of the field. All of the scores, you know, have him above average. It's not as if he's below average. But, you know, the, the difference between, like, being in the 50th percentile and the 91st percentile. Yeah, it seems like football outsiders basically hated the entire Vikings offense except Adam Thielen, who they loved, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's pretty funny. Arif Hassan, great work on the on this piece. I would recommend everyone read it, coldomaha.com, for a highly intelligent evaluation of the Vikings offense. Arif, I hear you're headed to the Senior Bowl. Uh, yeah, me and uh, Luke Inman, who's a, a resident draft guy, uh, he's going to be teaching me a lot about all of these guys as we're heading down to the Senior Bowl. Uh, I'm probably going to be learning some names of schools I've never heard before. Um, but, yeah, we're going to be sitting down there, uh, you know, on Monday. We're probably going to be in there for the weigh-in uh, just to see sort of, you know, are these guys as tall as they say. And then we're going to be watching practices you know, see which players seem like they'd be a fit for the Minnesota Vikings based off of what we know they need and what we know they like. Are you going to watch Matt Asiata's cousin? Uh, absolutely. He's evidently pretty good. He's Pac-12 off a top blocker voted on by, you know, his peers in the Pac-12. Uh, you know, first-round picks have been have been getting that award. Uh, you know, players like Joshua Garnett picked by the 49ers. Uh, you know, players uh, that have been well-regarded like Xavier Suofilo. I think Isaac Asiata uh, has, has gotten the same award. Sounds like he's pretty good, so I'm definitely going to watch him. He's old, too. He's like 25. But, hey, make sure you cultivate those sources do good work down the Senior Bowl. We'll be promoting your work here on this end. Where is it again? Uh, Mobile, Alabama. Mobile, down in uh, football hotbed country down there. Probably some Alabama kids at that Senior Bowl, I would assume. Oh, uh, yeah, more than a couple. Yeah. Arif Hassan, at Arif Hassan NFL. Thanks for your elite work, in the words of PJ Fleck, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Locked on Vikings carries on tomorrow with Sage Rosenfels, where we'll have Sage stories, stats of the week, and more player evaluations. Talk to you then. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners, this is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.